time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Happy Monday, everybody. Good to have you joining with us. Welcome to another podcast. It's Monday, April 27, 2020. Again, as we say each week, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. We want to get into the hot topic segment. We always bring you timely information in audio format. And boy, this hot topic today is just that. We have joining us in the hot topic segment, Dan Habib, Senior Vice President of MBS Highway. Yes, he yeah, we'll have to tease Dan about this. Do you get tired of being referred? To, oh, you're Barry's son. Does that? Because I had that with my dad. I mean, oh, you're Sam Lickin's son. So it's one of those things where does he live in the shadow? Well, he doesn't. We're going to get him out on front and center stage spotlight, and we're going to be talking about forbearance, the Fed, the future of housing, and get Dan's perspective on it. He's got over 16 years of experience. He's a sought-after speaker does extensive amount of talking and commentating along with his dad on the market. So we're really excited to have Dan Habib joining us here in the Hot Topic segment. The really important issues, we're going to get their perspective, Dan's perspective on that. And again, it's a collective perspective of what's going on there over there at MBS Highway. So I want to say a special thank you to our partner, friends and partners at Industry Syndicate. Check out industrysyndicate.com. We're very grateful to have them as the listeners. We're also proud to be part of the Mortgage Media Network. My good friend David Matthews is heading it up. Of course, David Stevens is a part of that. And we got Eric Souza. Just a great group of folks. And we're proud to be a part of it. We're going to be doing an interview, a podcast interview, with David Matthews. And I are going to be talking about what's going on in politics, what's going on with the housing industry, what does this mean. We're going to get into a great discussion later in this week. We'll publish that out on our channel so you're aware of it. Also, I want to give a listener shout-out. We have Elaine Inugay. He's a platform product leader at Ellie May. He is in Danville, California. I really appreciate that. He says, I'd like to connect via LinkedIn. I listen to your podcast regularly since it was introduced to me by my vice president and have pushed it out to others in my organization. And I love what I can learn about the industry. I'd say you have accomplished a great deal here. We're always grateful to hear from our listeners. Send me a LinkedIn message. Probably the best way for it to happen. We love hearing from our listeners. There are so many of you guys. I could just go on and on with the thousands upon thousands of people that listen to this podcast. So, again, thank you so much. I'm going to get to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Sign up for Mortgage Action Alliance. You heard about that when the Bill Kelmer, Pete Mills was on with me when we did that special podcast. you got to get signed up so your voice is heard in D.C. They have set it up and made it so easy. Also, 
be sure to listen to that podcast we did. It was on Friday, April 17th. Grateful to have the relationship with you at the NBA. Also, Finastra, whose Fusion Mortgage Bot solution automatically addresses compliance issues while delivering enhanced buyer satisfaction. So grateful to have Finastra, as well as Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Both of these co-ops allow you to have competitive advantages, meeting lenders and vendors up close and personal. Encourage you to check out both of those websites. You can see them on our website, Look It On Lending, as well as you can learn about this Community Mortgage Lenders of America Association. Grateful for their partnership, as well as Indicom. They're doing a great job. They're an offshore company, offshore and onshore company that can help you add bandwidth to your company, as well as Josh with Incelerate. Man, he's got a cool product of helping you do borrower engagement like nothing I have ever seen before. We had him on as a guest here just recently. Be sure to go check out that previous podcast. Also, Ainsworth Advisors. Very pleased to have them as a sponsor. It's another one of my companies that I own. But I want you to particularly listen to how a podcast that we have on there and go to AinsworthAdvisors.com how one particular company saved $300,000 in fees that they were being charged. We just updated the audio for this last month, and we recorded it. And again, what we do is we get all the advisors together. We talk about what's going on. It's almost like a mini little podcast on its own. We have Jay Brinkman, former chief economist of the NBA, Joe Muir, past president of the Jenny May. We have Gary Ort, past president of Texas Capital Bank, Mark Helm. Les Parker. Uh, it's a great group, but you don't want to miss that. So check out the website, angelworthadvisors.com, and listen to this month's update. Also, some great testimonials in there of what's going on. AI Assist, as well as Celebrity Home Loans, growing like crazy through mergers and acquisitions. Knowledge Cube, Mobility RE, which is a great way to connect with loan officers. Also, Modex, they do the same thing, but slightly different. Encourage you to check out both companies, as well as Velma, VendorSurf, Vidyard, I love Vidyard because of the way they do videos and the way they store them up there. More and more video being done. I love Zoom. But Vidyard is the way you deliver it that's very, very effective. So it's delivering a video message. So check out all of our sponsors at the Lickin' on Lending podcast website. we got a lot of sponsors. Getting through all of that is uh, so important. But these are great partners. We select, carefully select, who we're working with and encourage you to check them out. Let's get over to Rob Van Raphorse with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorse. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, FHFA announced the alignment of the GSE's timelines for required servicer advancing obligations, limiting these obligations to four months of advances of missed borrower payments. This will help limit the maximum liquidity demands placed on servicers. Also last week, FHFA approved the GSE's ability to purchase loans that entered into forbearance shortly after closing. MBA remains very concerned, however, about the punitive pricing currently in place, as well as the exclusion of cash-out refinances. And finally, last week, members of the New Democratic Coalition sent a letter to the federal financing and housing regulators advocating for liquidity access for mortgage servicers. MBA is continuing to also advocate for the Fed to announce that they are going to set up such a facility as the industry responds to a heightened level of forbearance requests due to the COVID-19 hardships. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Saw that audio clip come in earlier this morning. Listen to it. There's a lot of good information 
encourage you to become a member of the MBA. Trisha Megliazzo would love to talk with you or any of her people about becoming a member. But by all means, download and start using the Mortgage Action Alliance application. Les Parker's here with this week's TM Spotlight, a macro view of the markets. Les, and he always has a music parody, so let's hear what he has for this week's music parody. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Ride, Captain Bond, upon your mystery ship. Is everything back to normal? Mortgages in the Treasury coupon curve, except for the bond, float in the cash from the Fed. Their recent trading patterns mirror the less volatile levels before the virus. Now with summer coming to destroy COVID-19, will the market drift into doldrums? Why does bonds vote sail through rough seas? It moves with every panic-pitched trillion-dollar budget bill. Fights among scientists over the conjecture about coronavirus deaths, infections, spread, immunity, treatment effectiveness, vaccine availability, and testing efficacy. Plus, it's amazed at the Fed's big liquidity trip. These views are my own. Go to tmspotlight.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Yeah, I encourage you to check out the TM Spotlight newsletter. Great information in that. And it's actually a really nice compliment to MBS Highway and what they do. I love what they publish on MBS Highway. It's like the morning update. I'm always listening to it. Let's get into the market update with Joe Farr. Joe, good to have you here, friend. Hey, Dave. MBS prices are down a little bit today, about 3.30 seconds, so not a lot. Stock market's up nicely. Yeah, it's up about 280 points. It opened higher this morning uh, as the Asian markets rallied on news that uh, the Bank of Japan was increasing the amount of assets that they were going to purchase. So a little QE support for the system there. And then it followed, continued a little bit higher uh, you know, with more and more talk about you know the opening of the market. Maybe this, these are the steps necessary to get things going again. Uh, so good morning in the stock market. So again, last week, Dave, MBS prices were pretty much unchanged for the week. There was a little volatility early. You know, last Monday was the first day of the Fed's uh, reduced purchases of MBS, and that might have weighed on the, the little drop in the market then. And then, you know, during the week, and we're going to be talking about this later, as the news came out about servicing advances and, and buying loans and security and the liquidity of servicers and, and possibly even the, the agencies, there was some volatility in, in, as the market reacted to some of that. I can imagine that's pretty important to investors as they're buying uh, Fannie and Freddie MBS or Universal MBS. The economic data that came out last week really didn't have a big effect on the market. It did show what people would expect it to show, like uh, housing activity was down, consumer sentiment was down, durable orders was down, so as expected. Looking at this week, we actually may see it's you know been several weeks in a row when I've said that the economic data had very little effect on things. I see a little more, uh, a bigger chance for the more traditional market movers to come into play this week. That starting, well, that being central bankers and the and the data. So looking at central bankers, you know, I mentioned the Bank of Japan heading to the volume of purchases that they're going to make. We've got a Fed meeting this week. They're going to announce their statement at 2 o'clock, and then there'll be a press conference followed by Chairman Powell. Really no new major announcements are expected, but we may get more guidance on their asset purchase program and 
see where they're coming from, where they see what Chairman Powell sees, how he sees the economy moving forward from here, both you know, in the near term and the long term. Then on Thursday, the European Central Bank is going to issue its policy statement, and they are expected to announce increases in asset purchases, so further support for the market. And they're even going to start buying some riskier debts. That could be good for stocks, and that can always spill over into the bond market and have a negative effect on bonds. There is important economic data to come out during the week. This first quarter GDP is going to come out on Wednesday. It's expected to show a 4% contraction for the first quarter. Then we got pending home sales for March are going to be uh, uh, released, and they're expecting a 10% drop from February. Core PCE is going to be released on Thursday. It too is expected to show a contraction, yeah. this one of uh, one-tenth contraction. You know, Thursday, we got another round of weekly jobless claims, big numbers coming out there. They're expected to fall from 4.4 million last week to 3.5 million this week, which is a trend in the right direction, but still big numbers. ISM manufacturing for April, which is important because this is going to be the first of the April activity, it's expected to show a 20% drop from March activity, big reductions. And then even, uh, you know, we got lots of big name companies coming out this week to announce the results for their first quarter. And it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it could be market moving on the stock market, which again could spill over into the bond market. So, you know, I do see this week having a good possibility of being more volatile than we've seen over the last few weeks. I don't know if it'd be net good or net not so good, but certainly a chance for more volatility. There is no question. That could this could be running through earnings. Everyone's been voting to when earnings start showing up, first quarter specifically, second quarter is going to be really telling. It could be very fascinating what happens to the equity side of it. As those deteriorate, so goes it better for MBSs. So excellent. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it very yeah. much. I hope you can stay involved all the way and get into the discussion with Dan. I'm really excited about having, again, Dan Habib on. We're going to be talking about all that's going on. They do a great job on the daily commentary of what's going on in the markets. You need to check out mbshighway.com. If you're not signed up for that service, folks, highly recommend it. It's the one I use constantly and listening and looking at. Be sure to stay tuned. we got Dan Habib coming on a little bit later. Did I say Barry earlier? I know Barry so well. It's like they just default to that. Apologies to Dan if I did. Anyway, Alice Alvey, who is CMB Vice President of Education and Training and Union Home Mortgage, and she's got this week's legislative update. Alice, how are you? I'm doing well, Dave. Happy to be here and, you know, trying to add a little clarity to some of the things you heard Rob Van Rapport's talk yeah, on the MBA update. Yeah, so certainly we're very excited. Maybe I should rephrase that. That's probably an overstatement, but we're at least content that we'll get four months of as the maximum amount of forbearance that a lender would have to pay. What is in the details that Rob said where MBA is using the word punitive pricing for if a borrower happens to file a forbearance, like literally, right, you close the loan and they've filed the forbearance. Right, right away. It's a 700 basis point hit. You might as well go, okay, I still don't want to do it, right? (laughs) So that's right. I'm going to keep everything in place, take extra measures is what every lender is doing out there to make sure I understand if my borrower has filed. Now, this is a real tricky thing because it's not necessarily readily visible on all the payoff statements. So we do have to teach people how to dissect that, make sure your processors and underwriters can identify those clues. 
and then subsequently just kind of really thinking through that first-time home buyers, by the way, are a 500 basis point hit and it's 700 basis points for everybody else. So keep all those things in place because it's not really that big of a win if your borrower does file forbearance. The memo from the agencies did at least get us off the hook on what if the borrower just simply asks about it? This has been a challenge for a lot of folks out there where, yes. you know, the borrower's about to close the loan and they go, hey, yeah, what's this forbearance thing? And you're like, I didn't even close your loan yet. And you're already talking about not paying me. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> um, what are you so, yeah, so we don't have liability there. So that part was relieved. So just a, a footnote there, don't change any of your procedures in light that the agencies, at least at the first line of the memo, said they've loosened up. The rest of this I'd like to address is with as different states start to talk about safer Mm -hmm. at home, but they're reopening certain parts of their business. We have reached out to the agencies, and this isn't anything proprietary. As I, I look at the responses that we're getting back is all the same kind of common sense underwriting you have to apply. There isn't any new underwriting process for they were off for COVID and now they're back to work can we ignore that they were off for work, right? Can we just go, okay, they're back. Let's not worry about the gap in employment that occurred. That's a no. You do need to assess the gap, understand what is the stability of their job as they return back to work. And everything we're hearing so far is you do still have to get that pay stub. And I think our challenge is going to be how many hours are on those pay stubs. Um, So it is still very prudent, very cautious underwriting that has to be put in play as we have borrowers starting to return to work. There there doesn't appear to be anything new that's going to come back or you can't treat it differently because it was a layoff versus a leave of absence, right? That kind of terminology is just simply, did they get unemployment or not? Or did the employer have some other kind of payment structure in place? for the leave employees. Um, So you really have to hunker down on Mm -hmm. understanding stability of employment as a whole for that specific, it's case by case. So that's my heads up today for everybody as you think through where we're at. The fact is underwriting is still the same and there is no gimme for being off of work for the economic impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good that you clarify that because there's been a lot of confusion on that. Does forbearance spill all the way into underwriting? No. We have one client that is coaching their loan officers to talk to their borrowers about this so that they understand the consequences of how this potential deep discount, 700 basis point swing could be in the pricing. And they're talking about that, explaining it to them. And, and they're talking, are we, they ask me, are, are we doing something wrong by even explaining it? And I can't see any reason that they are. Do you have any thoughts on that, Alice? Well, I do. So keep in mind that the 700 basis point hit is not something we would pass to the borrower, right? This I, They don't uh, explain the dollar amount, but they're saying we do take a significant hit. They don't explain it where we will go to making some money to losing a lot of money on your loan. And, and so and that's what I was wondering is your thoughts on that. So no, not specifics, but... Right. I think it's a two-edged sword. It's very, we've talked a lot about this, right? So forbearance is one thing. Under, making sure the borrower understands what forbearance means, if they're asking in general, what you know, what mm-hmm. does the law allow? But when it comes time to, at the end of that, say they take their you know, 30, 60, 90-day, four-month forbearance, 
at that end of that time is what happens next is very much specific on the products that they're on as well uh, as true. those borrower yep. circumstances. So if they have a job, right, or they, do they have the money to make the, the payments that they missed? Or now modification, as we all know, you know, that's a world in of itself that's very unique for, uh, with lots of rules for each agency and what the terms would be. And loan officers really don't have all that background, so we don't recommend loan officers talking about what happens at the end of forbearance to talk to their servicer. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Different companies are having it different ways. Again, if you want to know what's going on with one of the industry leaders, Union Home Mortgage, that's why we have Alice Alvey, CMB Vice President of Education and Training with Union Home Mortgage on here giving these updates. Alice, thanks so much. Getting a lot of feedback. One of our listeners just texted, tell Alice we love her updates. They're always go. She gets deep enough in the weeds to give us insights to cause us to do our own more digging. So they appreciate the, the degree that you get into more into the details as we typically touch the high points of what's going on in the on the podcast so thank you you got you got fans out there now that comes as no surprise so <laughs> well thank you you bet appreciate you so much alice alvey let's get over to alan pollock with this week's tech update alan what you got man you always start out with some kind of thing humorous get that uh you had to put me on the spot i don't think i have anything for today oh, I, uh... man we get comments. I, know, I got. I know. I, yeah, when I was talking to Kim Schubert, she goes, "I always like the humor Alan throws in some anecdotal something off to the side." Kim Schubert again, another one of our wonderful long, long, long-term listeners with Freddie Mac. So anyway, all right. I'll, what you got for us I'll this sneak week? One in. How's that? I, I've got. Right, one. Okay. One point in the 1990s, 50 percent of all CDs produced worldwide were for AOL online. Really. Yeah, so um, there's got to be a lot of AOL CDs floating around a lot of people's garages and old boxes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the only one that has CDs I got to purge and throw away. So good. Oh, so yeah. anyway, Donation. there you go. There's a, that's so, a great little piece of trivia. So David, there's, a, there's been a lot of podcasts, uh, podcasts rather, sorry, web, webinars. You can see the list on any of our you know, mortgage media sites and emails and such, and they're all great content. I've heard feedback from people on all different ones they've attended. Our industry is doing a really good job of just sharing the knowledge. You know, it's been it's been great. Mm-hmm. If you remember last week, I announced that I was holding one as well for open yeah. close, and I, I had a statement that I created which really resonated because throughout the week I continued to see this same topic, which is my statement was technology adoption is more significant today than any time in the past. It couldn't be more true. So as I go through today, all the things we talk about and sort of where I end up today. Consider that, right? Technology adoption is more significant today than any time in the past. So with that, some great things in the news. The first one, David, Fannie Mae has updated certain UMDP data, which is our Uniform Mortgage Data Program, their data sets, introducing the DU-SPEC MISMO 3.4 Uniform Closing Data Set and Uniform Loan Delivery Data Set to support future use for other, a whole bunch of great stuff. So you want to check that out. Those uh, updates are on Fannie Mae's site. We haven't talked about Maxwell in quite a bit, David. Maxwell has just released their latest, they call it their best-in-class integration with Encompass, managing disclosures. And the reason I mention this is, look, there's a lot of updates from a lot of software platforms, but being able to get to disclosures is a big step forward. And so kudos to the folks at Maxwell. And if you use Maxwell, uh, you want to check it out. This one's great, David. A company called Homebinder. And what they say is, you know, stay connected post-close. They're a solution for lenders, and they keep you connected with your homeowners after the transaction has completed. 
They drive agent referrals, they have co-branding, and they work with real estate partners. So if you're thinking about on the marketing side, how to re-engage with existing business, especially ones that have given you a great ranking on social survey, you want to check it out. Homebinder is another great company to take a look at. Mismo, M-I-S-M-O, has rolled out RON certification. It's a certification program. By the way, you know who's president of Mismo, David? Michael Fratantoni, one of our good friends who's been on the podcast yes. the last yeah. two months or three months here. So Michael made a nice announcement, basically just saying that this certification program is designed to increase adoption of RON-enabled digital mortgage closings and support the integrity of scalability of e-mortgages. The statement I made earlier about adopting technology now, we've just learned how much David, of our industry, we've been thinking about, Ron, we've been thinking about really getting to an e-mortgage, but I think we've been afraid to do it, or we haven't focused in, Boy, in the reality. Oh, God, the reality is there's hybrid solutions. There's, you, you can get your feet wet, and usually the transition's very frictionless. So if you haven't started your e-mortgage strategy, your, your e inbox has been inundated with webinars of e-mortgages at this point, go ahead and check it out. You, it is an investment that you truly need to make. When we get to the new norm, and we've all seen realtor friends, right, posting closings with face masks and people driving by in their cars and that kind of thing, the new norm is going to be very different. And I think very different as far as how we adopt to it, not different in far, as far as uh, we're going to have something new. And so if you haven't really stepped into that e-closing process yet, you really want to do that. A couple of short so updates, David. This a company called Bradford Technologies. Now, I've personally never heard of Bradford Technologies before. What they do is they just launch a social distancing platform. Basically, the homeowner gets a link sent to them, and that link basically gives them questions to answer, asks them questions about the home, and provides them all the instructions to take pictures. So we talked about a couple companies that have updates similar to that in the week prior, but where we're at right now is, is really just around this new norm for appraisals and valuation of each of those properties. If you work looking for a company to work with, there's, I think two weeks ago, David, we mentioned four or five different companies that had updates. Well, Bradford Technologies can be added to the list. That's another one. And we're going Good. to end today with this, David. Optimal Blue has launched a benchmarking data set of mortgage, mortgage industry data that you can have access to. Yep, they said because of COVID-19 and the request to benchmark and understand great information going on, comprehensive database of primary mortgage market data. And if you're an OB user, which by the way, OB does have data from one third of all U.S. mortgages completed every year. You want to check that out. That's good. And with that, David, that is this week's update. Lots of great good stuff for next week. I couldn't fit it all into one segment, or I, I wouldn't be fair to everybody else, including our special <laughs> guest today. So we'll save yeah. it for next week. I appreciate very much you sharing what you did. Yeah, very interesting. By the way, our producer put on the notes here that we had Mike Frattentoni on on January 13th of this earlier this year, talking about the industry. We need to get him back on talking about technology and his perspective. So I don't know. I was talking to a chief economist about technology. Michael does an amazing job of staying on top of it. We have to get him on, Alan, as a guest of ours. Appreciate it very much. Check out Alan's other information. Write him. By the way, several people write him. We're getting a new email address set up for him, but contact him currently at alan at tms-advisors.com. 
And uh, we'll have a new update for you guys can send your requests or your information that you want Alan to talk about it. So anyway, great segment. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here each and every week. Likewise, David. You bet. We're going to head out and get over to our hot topic segment. For those of you listening uh, live, this ends our weekly update of what we're talking about. And we're going to now get into our hot topic segment with our special guest, Dan Habib. Welcome to the Hot Topics segment of Lickin' on Lending. It is April 27th, if you're listening to this. On a downloaded basis, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen all the way through this. We've got as our special guest today, Dan Habib, Senior Vice President, Co-Founder of MBS Highway. And what we're going to be talking about, very important hot topics. We've already touched about them on our mortgage update. For those of you listening live, you just heard it. If you did not listen to it, go back and listen to the previous podcast. And we talked a lot about, we touched on aspects of this, but we're going to dive deeper into forbearance, the Fed, and the future of housing. Dan has been in the mortgage industry for 16 years. I would say it's been longer because he is the son of Barry Habib. So I would suggest as old as Dan is, is how long he's been in the mortgage industry. He's a sought-after speaker. He has got extensive knowledge in the mortgage and real estate markets. Dan, good to have you here. Appreciate it. David, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, certainly some big shoes to fill with Barry, but um, certainly uh, doing my best like you with your father to make my own name out there. And, and I love how he just he looks at you in just such an affectionate way, and, and it's just such a good father-son relationship that you two have. We do a father-son interview, and uh, we've done some really fun ones in the past. We need to get one of you and Barry on that one for, for this year. I just thought about that. So let's get in talking about some of the things that are going on in the marketplace. There's nothing that's a bigger issue, Dan, than forbearance. But I just want, before we go there, I want to give again a plug for MBS Highway. Go check it out. Many of you use it already. If you haven't, you can go check it out by going to mbshighway.com. The thing that I look at is the morning update and the afternoon update. It's a real good video summary of what's going on. And then also, Barry and Dan have done a great job of publishing some great information about what was going on, explaining what's going on. And the one that you did on forbearance and talking about so many aspects of it has went viral. I think everybody in the industry read that, Dan. So kudos to how you and your dad, Barry, are communicating the industry, explaining some of the more complex things. So let's get into talking about forbearance. What is the issue from your perspective here? Give us your thoughts. Thanks for that, David. And, and yeah, that, that piece uh, was on forbearance, but also we got into some of the stuff that the Fed was doing and some of the unintended yes. consequences of trying to support the mortgage industry and buying mortgage-backed securities, but the issue is they were buying too much too fast. Too and much, yeah. Because, of the way, yeah. because of the way it works with you know, companies out there, you know, when you lock in a loan, they have to protect themselves from rates moving, so they do some hedging. And because the Fed bought 650 basis points that made mortgage bonds go up in like four days, they bought so much, yeah. they were so upside down on these shorts that it was causing some crazy margin calls for companies where they were getting $10, $30 million like a week in uh, margin calls. And they were like, oh, man, yeah. we're not going to be able to last much longer at this pace. So this article really got in front of the Fed. A lot of people give us a lot of credit for, for kind of bringing this to their attention. And they did cut back on their purchases. And I have to commend the Fed because they've been buying yeah, really what I like to call like a Goldilocks amount of mortgage-backed securities. And really since March 30th, <laughs> if you take a look at where mortgage-backed security prices were then to now, it's pretty flat. So they've done a good job in, in reducing that and buying the right amount. But let's 
Let's get into forbearance a little bit deeper here. I want to just say you had some great guests on today, Alice, as well as the NBA update that you had previous to her. They really did cover on a lot of the updates that we're seeing out there with forbearance. But, you know, one of the things that I've found right now is so many people out there that have been in the industry for a long time, I think they're realizing how much they don't know about how the mortgage market and mortgage cycle works. So I wanted to actually just kind of take a little step back just for some of the viewers that may not be that familiar with it, may not be that familiar with exactly how forbearance works. So, you know, as of a part of the CARES Act, homeowners with the mortgage can enter in forbearance where they don't have to pay their mortgage up to six months, and then they can go ahead and reapply for up to another six months. And the latest data I'm seeing from Black Knight and the MBA is about 6.4% of mortgages out there are in forbearance. So that's 3.4 million loans. I actually think that's a little bit on the light side. I think that we'll see that number actually exponentially get a little higher as we get towards the end of the month, because just human nature, people like to wait uh, before doing these kinds of things. You know, they're not usually proactive with this, but I think that number moves higher. But here's the problem with forbearance is that there's there's no proof of hardship. You really just have to call your servicer and tell them you're having a hard time and there's no proof of it. And the problem is, is the education has been very poor. So people mm-hmm. think that it's like free money. They think forbearance is forgiveness. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to kind of game the system a little bit here. Some people want to hoard cash. And the thing that they're not realizing is, is that, number one, you have to pay this back. Now, Alice explained this a little bit before, and it's a little unclear. I think part of it depends on the program, the servicer. But you, know, you can pay it in a lump sum, but you don't have to. You, know, you could do things like do a loan modification. You could set up a payment plan. I've heard things that it could be treated as a second lien on the home. But regardless, it's not being forgiven. It has to be paid back. So there's no actual financial benefit. Now, listen, if you can't pay your mortgage, of course, this is a great program for you if you need it. But people that right. don't truly need it, it's not going to help you. And they say that it's not going to be negatively impacting your credit. But I got to tell you, I've looked at some credit scores where it shows someone entering in forbearance and it very clearly says that the loan is in forbearance. Now it doesn't have like a missed payment or a late payment or derogatory mark on there, but you got to imagine that credit companies that are looking at your credit report, you know, <laughs> when they look at this, I mean, you'd have to agree that you're, you're more risky if you enter in forbearance than someone that didn't. So you wonder if somehow that doesn't negatively impact you. It's got to. But yeah, I agree with you. But let's talk about the impact on servicers, right? Because that's really the big issue that we've been hearing about in this liquidity issue. So I think it's important to understand the mortgage cycle first, right? So companies, they don't typically hold a mortgage. And the reason why is because of interest rate risk. So, David, let's just pretend that I lent you just this is an oversimplification. But if I lend you $100,000 and charge your rate of 4%, well, you pay me $4,000 a year in interest. What happens if rates in the going market went up to 8%? Would that loan still be worth $100,000 today? And the answer is no, because a $50,000 loan would pay that same $4,000 a year at 8%. So the loan would literally be worth half as much today. Now, imagine if you're a mortgage company and you got $2 billion in mortgages. You, know, you can't just lose a billion dollars if rates were to, let's say, move higher like that. And again, this is an oversimplification. So because of that, the risk of a mortgage is typically passed along, right? So The borrower goes to the mortgage originator. The originator puts the loan through their mortgage company or the bank who funds the loan. The company then can service the loan themselves, or maybe if they don't do servicing, they sell it to a servicer. And then the servicer sells it to an investor like Fannie and Freddie. But the key point here is is that the servicer has to advance principal interest 
taxes and insurance. And this is what some of the other guests were talking about where, you know, they did come out and say that they're limiting that to four months. Um, but right. before we get a little deeper on that, the investor then sells this to Wall Street. Fannie and Freddie will bundle these things into mortgage-backed securities into pools, and Wall Street will then sell it back to us, actually. You wonder who assumes the risk of this. Well, if you take a look in your IRAs, your 401ks, mutual funds, we all assume the risk. So it's kind of one big cycle. So the issue is this, is that if somebody defaults on the first, if they have a first payment default, so they don't make their first mortgage payment, and they enter forbearance, well, the loan wasn't saleable. So that means that the server was stuck with this loan. And if they're stuck with this loan and they can't sell it, well, ties up their capital, their ability to lend. So the FHFA, right, which is the body that oversees the Fannie and Freddie and is headed by Mark Calabria, who's kind of like public enemy number one right now in the mortgage industry almost because <laughs> so, yeah. he really hasn't been much of a help, right? So he refused to provide a facility. Much like, But, you know, Ginny does have a facility for FHFA, they do, uh, VA, yeah. USDA loans, so they have one. So, you know, it's a PFAP wonder why program. we can't set up one. Exactly. So it's a wonder why you can't have one uh, for Fannie and Freddie loans. But, you know, some people are, are hoping the Fed comes in. We haven't seen any signs of that yet. And, you know, Calabria then came out and he said, well, listen, you know, the servicer, if they're having liquidity issues, then we'll take the servicing away from them. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. I mean, that doesn't really. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of companies rely on that income. Right. So so that doesn't really help us. Right. And then they did limit what I heard is that they limited. And by the way, I got to give credit to David Stevens because uh, he's been a really great resource out there and he's been really giving us kind of a lot of frontline information, too. So I want to just give him a shout out. A great guy as well. But yep. um, what, I, what I've seen is that the principal and interest is, is going to be reduced four months. But I saw that they still actually have to front the taxes and insurance to servicers. So it's just a principal that is limited now to four months. As far as saleability, well, if you're in first payment default, now they'll buy loans if they are owner-occupied purchases and if it's rate and term refinances. So cash out refinances, uh, they won't let you buy if it's in a first payment default. Now, Alice and, and, and uh, really covered this nicely, but it's 500 basis point extra fee they're going to hit you with if it's a first time home buyer or 700 basis points if it's not to buy that loan that's in that first payment default. But let's just take a look at some of the math on this, right? So it can vary, but on average, a company makes about 64 basis points per loan. So let's just say we're looking at a $300,000 loan. Well, the company would make about $1,900 on that transaction, but if they got hit with a 700 basis point fee, they'd have to pay $21,000. Obviously, <laughs> the economics don't make sense. And it's right. So once again, thanks a lot, Mark, right? I mean, this doesn't help. I think in the end, it's going to end up hurting the consumer. So first of all, we're already seeing loan programs kind of go away a little bit, um, tighten guidelines. But here's one of the things that we were talking with David Stevens about that was interesting, where you know, a company may actually hold on to the loan before selling it to make sure that this customer doesn't go into a first payment default and they don't, you know, not make their first payment. Now, if they were to do that and they don't sell it to Fannie and Freddie, believe it or not, it's not eligible for forbearance. So the company could actually then screw the customer and they could do things like start foreclosure proceedings if they don't make this first payment. So I've heard some things that this could happen. Also, the other thing they can do is this, is listen, a certain percentage of their loans are going to maybe have this issue where they're going to have this extra 700 basis point fee. So what could a company do to protect themselves? Well, they can charge a higher rate across all their loans because they don't know which ones this is going to happen to. And maybe, you know, rates are just going to be a little bit higher, uh, maybe like an eighth to a quarter to cover 
the cost that might be associated with that. So overall, at the end of the day, I think the consumer is going to be hurt by this. Now, listen, I want to just say that this is helping a bit, right? I mean, it's not the help we were looking for, but the limit on the, on the four months is helping servicers. So, you know, we're going to get through this time. There's going to be some bumps yeah. on the road and, and more, yeah. mortgage companies are going to survive this. And this is yeah. some help, but they could do so much more. Yeah, so let's get in. We're getting questions in from listeners already. I have some questions. Uh, great job in kind of summarizing kind of what's going on. One of the questions is on Calabria. A lot of focus, like you said, for some, he's public enemy number one within the mortgage industry. Understandably so, forgot what's going on. But it, in your discussions with David Stevens and other interviews that you've been doing, do you have any consensus of what is a motive behind this? Several of text messages that I'm getting in right now. If you want to text me with your questions, folks, text me to 512-632-2900. Also, you can send them in a LinkedIn message. One of the questions came in, or actually several, but the basic theme is, is Collabora basically saying we don't want little guys selling direct to the agencies? Do you have any thoughts on that from your interviews you've yeah. been doing? So, so there's definitely uh, some thoughts on that, and, and I, I don't want to necessarily get into that specifically, but I have heard people say, that they do think that this is almost like a plan of his to, to get these smaller services out of the game. You know, I do think that he just, he's got his viewpoints very specific where he doesn't believe in, he believes in letting the market kind of sort things out. He doesn't believe in bailouts. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't gotcha. think any non-bank yep. is too big. He doesn't believe any non-bank is too big to, to fail. But, you know, the problem is this, is that it just doesn't coincide with what we're seeing in the rest of the economy. So when you take a look at Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, you take a look at the Fed, what have they been saying and what have they been doing? We are going to throw as much money at this to help reduce the <laughs> exactly pain. Right. And it seems like they're doing this all over the economy in everything, it seems, except why yeah. do create a facility? For the, listen, yeah. they're going to get made whole eventually anyway. It's just providing that bridge where the service is. I know, are, you know, I, know have, I know. It doesn't make sense to me. There's so, almost like there's an asterisk in there. Uh, we're going to bail out everything and everybody, uh, except for independent mortgage bankers who are going to be thinly capitalized. Some, but, but also this has a big impact on the big ones. We watched, I watched an interview, uh, a focus, as I'm sure Barry was, and you were uh, talking to the Fox producers. Um, I'm a regular on there, so I'm putting articles over to him. You guys got to talk about this. So they had the, the chairman of uh, Mr. Cooper on and talking about the consequences even to some of the bigger companies. So this is across all the companies. It, it's really predicated upon the size of your portfolio because it can have an impact. And that's a great example on the 64 basis points, $1,900, $21,000 potential hit. That just, those economics don't work. But I want to shift over and start talking about the feds. But before we do, Alice, any questions that you have or thoughts that you have for Dan? Yeah, hi, Dan. Well, thanks uh, Thanks for all the insight. I would really love to ask you that same question Dave asked me. You know, do you think it's the right place for LOs to be coaching or talking to borrowers about this, you know, and, and to what extent they should be knowledgeable of this on the front line? Yeah, so, you know, I think that it's important for them to educate the first point that I made where – I think they need to educate that, listen, forbearance isn't forgiveness. It could potentially have some negative impacts on your credit. And listen, if, this is, should be a last resort. It shouldn't be something looked at like maybe I can just, you know, take advantage of this and I won't have to make payments. And I think by and large, the education was very poor. So I would educate that. As far as the specifics, I, I tend to think that you're right as far as 
there's, it seems to me that it's almost hard to find concrete answers. There's a lot of unknowns out there as to this forbearance period's over. In what way do you have to pay this back? You know, Calabria came out recently and said that it doesn't have to be a lump sum. At first, it was thought it had to be a lump sum. But, you know, now I'm seeing you could do loan mods. Yeah, I heard that it could be treated as a second lien on the home. But I don't know if it's, it's smart to get too deep into that. But I just think it's important to just educate that this is something really meant for a last resort. And listen, if you can't pay your mortgage, by all means, you should go ahead and do this. But if you can, it's not, you're not gaming the system. You're not getting any benefit. I wouldn't go much deeper than that. I don't yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I think, uh, I think we're all, you know, on the same page there because it just, you run into so much potential liability. You want to be informative, right? None of us like to say to somebody, oh, you know, I don't know. You want to give them something. So you can give them that, you know, give them the basics. Yeah. That's great. I, I would point everybody to the webinar that uh, the MBA had last Wednesday, and I had the privilege of being uh, sitting in and listening in on that. And it was the forbearance and COVID nineteen. What servicers need to know, and I want to tell you, they Dan, they were speaking at a mile a minute trying to get through all the information, and even then, as much information they covered in one hour. It, it scratched the surface of all the what if, what if, and scenarios. So I, I think there's just a tremendous amount of clarity that's needed. I don't think we're going to get it, quite honestly, which I think was the reason why they were com- communicating. Uh, the, the, on, a, on a point, I should say that one company that was uh, that I'm working with, that was who had told the loan officers. They have developed a really great relationship with their consumers, and they felt sharing with their consumers the damage, not specifics, not saying into 700 or 500 basis points or getting into the economics. They said this could, this could be a devastating to us, and they explained it. And so they asked the consumer, communicated the consumer before they sold the loan to please make every effort, if there's any reason they can't, get a hold of the servicer or get a hold of them. And uh, so that I want to put some clarity around that. So, uh, Joe, uh, let's get to you first, then we'll get over to Alan. Joe, any questions? Well, we've talked about conventional conforming loans that go into an early forbearance and the penalty, you know, if, it, if they go there before they're purchased. What happens to FHA and VA loans? You know, that's a good question. I'm not certain on that, to be honest with you. You know, I know that they do have a liquidity set up that's there for parts of this, but that's a great question on that. And uh, it's kind of like everyone's been focused on what Collabra is and or isn't doing for the conventional part of the market. That's a great question, Joe. We need to get some clarity on that. Great right. question. I don't know that there's – I haven't heard anyone even talking about it, Dan, out there on that. I, I haven't uh, either. It is a great question. It's definitely something I'm going to look into as well. But, yeah, I've, I've, there's been so much focus on, on Fannie and Freddie and, and the FHFA, and you yeah, haven't heard much on that. Joe, any other questions before I run over to Alan? No, no, no. So you asked the one question that stumped both uh, the panelists, regulars, and our guests. That's a good one, Joe. I don't think we've had that happen in our 10 years that we've stumped stumped everybody. Alan, good to have you here with us. Let's see in. What you got as questions for Dan on that relate to forbearance and possibly Calabria? Yeah, Dan, uh, thanks for uh, joining us today, by the way, and good to chat with you. Thank you. So, yeah, my my question, I'm going to go a little off book. So, David, don't shoot me just yet. But, you know, my, my question I'm is... I'm already cringing. All right. Yeah. And, I, Dan, I, I don't want to send you um, to a point where you're making a recommendation, but what do you think lenders will, should be focusing on when this is all over, right? So, I mean, there's enough commentary yeah. about where we're at. What, what, what do you think is up and coming, um, if you can give an opinion? 
You know, I just think that, that they're going to try to protect themselves. They're going to, things are going to be a little bit stricter. I think that at the, at the end, the consumer is going to suffer a little bit because of it. I think that you're already seeing, you know, different overlays. You're seeing, you know, raised credit scores. You're seeing um, programs that are going away. I, I think that you're going to see a combination of all those things. Yeah, we just got one of our one of our listeners or one of Alan's friends just texted me and said, uh, uh, "Don't be sorry, don't cringe." Alan always asks good questions. That, I mean, I think that is. It's looking forward. I think we're so myopically focused on the intense consequence of what's going on right now. It's it's a great question to where where are things going? What should we look at down the road? Let's get through this and we'll start focusing more on that. We are actually seeing some podcasts sure. showing up and some webinars showing up on it, Alan, so what we see in the future. One thing is for certain, electronic everything, e-mortgages, e-closings, e-everything related to the mortgage is going to be the mission number one across the board with everybody. I'm pretty sure that. And I think greater greater amount of technology. So, Alan, your segment's going to even get more and more attention. I don't know how much time we have left, but I wanted to just touch We're on good. the future of interest rates and, and housing there. That's um, where I wanted so, to go next. You know, obviously right now rates are you know, at historically really great levels. We think that rates are going to remain low. And one of the things you look at historically and, and, and you know, all across the world is, is that typically when countries have really increased debt levels, that has a downward pressure on interest rates. So uh, we do think that rates are going to remain really low. The only thing that you have to worry about would be is if the U.S. started printing money, which we don't think they're going to do. Now, a lot of people say, well, isn't the U.S. already printing money? And the answer is no. Uh, there's a corresponding debt instrument. You know, when the U.S. is raising all this different stimulus and going into debt, they're selling, you know, either treasury bills or bonds or notes, right? So there's a corresponding debt instrument on the ledger per se. But, you know, some, some countries in the past, they have just printed money and it's caused like hyperinflation and all kinds of issues. Now, Interestingly, the UK actually said they wanted to give a little bit of a break to their debt system there, and they said that they were going to, in a very controlled way, start printing a little bit of money, which is a scary thing. You hope that other countries don't follow suit there. Uh, but that's something that's interesting. But we think rates are going to remain really low for a long period of time. Now, we, you know, I don't think you'll ever see a 6% interest rate in, in, in your lifetime. But um, when we take a look at housing, you know, housing before this COVID crisis, housing was very much the bright spot of the economy. We were at 13-year highs on all the different sales figures out there. We were seeing appreciation between 5 and 6% with really strong forecasts. And the dynamics were really, really strong with housing. So what I mean by that is, is you had much stronger demand than supply out there. It wasn't uncommon that you were getting multiple offers and, and, and getting outbid on homes. So is housing going to take a little bit of a hit because of this? Of course, I think it has to. And it's because of the lack of demand. You know, I think obviously unemployment is going to have a big part of that. And we estimate that the unemployment rate is right around 18.5%. We've done some research and based on the new number of claims that we've been seeing each week, people filing for unemployment benefits for the first time, uh, as well as you know, some, some numbers on how many people maybe are coming back to work um, you know, just partly in, in part to just coming back and also maybe due to some of the PPP loans going out there. We think it's right around 18.5%. So, listen, obviously the last thing you need to do if you lost your job is, is, is buy a home. And, you know, there's also a lack of homes being listed a little bit now, too, because, you know, who wants people tracing through their homes? But I do think that housing is going to very much have an opportunity to maybe lead the recovery. And I think that Good. the dynamics – 
I think you'll see the dynamics come back to where they were before, meaning demand's going to have to come before supply. You're not going to see people putting homes up on the market, builders uh, like building homes and seeing like supply out there without having the demand there first, right? So I think that you're going to see really strong demand when we come out of this thing. And I think housing is going to continue to do well, but it is going to have, you know, depending on how long this goes on, a little bit of a lull. Listen, housing is typically a long-term investment, right? It's not typically a short-term one for most people. So the one-year appreciation may take a little bit of a hit when we look on like a forecast for one year, but there is a lot of cushion that we've built up. When you take a look, when we were just looking at year-over-year figures, just as of last week, we got some numbers from the FHFA house price index, and that showed that home prices were up 5.7% year-over-year. So we're going to definitely see that year over year number get eaten into, but it might not even, I might, I might see that being eaten into maybe by 4% or so to 5% for one year, but it might not even really turn negative because we built up so much cushion and we've had such housing market prior to this. Now, when we take a look at like the mortgage industry as a whole, you know, I think refinances are going to remain really, really strong. If we do mm-hmm. some quick math here, right, there's about $11 trillion of mortgages in the U.S., of which people are estimating, because rates are low and, and they're expected to remain low, $6 trillion are eligible for a refinance. Now, if we look at like a good year in mortgages, $1.5 trillion is a great year for refinances. $2 trillion is mortgage professionals are out of their minds busy. So as long as rates remain low, you know, $6 trillion in eligible refinances means that we have a ton of business for several years, you know, even if purchase business does take a little bit of a slump. So I think that overall, we're going to be okay. We're going to be good. And, and listen, if you talk, take a look at where you can do it, there's also a big opportunity in cash out refis because there's roughly 128 households. The homeownership rate is 64% approximately. So 40% of people own their home free and clear. And 50 million have a mortgage with an average LTV of 53. You know, CoreLogic came out and they said that they estimate that people have $177,000 of equity in their homes. So there's a lot of opportunity where you can, because I know some situations you may not be able to anymore, but where you can, you can pull out equity, pay off debts, especially now where you want to come cash flow for some people that might be worried, maybe give them some cash as a security blanket. And then what you can do is, is hey, after you get through this period, that savings that they're getting each month from consolidating this debt, apply that towards the principal, pay down that mortgage and accelerate it to you know, save years on your mortgage and create wealth by doing that as well. So uh, I do think there's an opportunity for that where you can do it. But companies that I talk to, I mean, I'm talking to mortgage companies all the time. Listen, there's definitely some bumps in the road. I think it's important at this time to really work as a team with your company. You know, I think it's more important than ever for the LOs and, and, and management at a company to really be kind of working together and having each other's back. But I do think that some companies are doing really great right now. I'm not going to mention names, but some, some of our larger companies um, are telling us that they have record closings potentially in April. So listen, there's still business to be had out there. I think one of the best ways for mortgage professionals to do so and to get business is to just make sure you're present on social media. I know people say it all the time, but the people I talk to that are doing really, really big numbers and, and some having their biggest month ever are creating engaging social media videos. And listen, you can't just do one once in a blue moon. You've got to be doing these things on like a weekly basis and you have to. And there's so much to talk about right now. There is and, 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 and I think a good point right on that point is if you don't want to create the content, then take content created by MBS Highway and forward that on. Make it that apart. You know, just do an intro and then attach it and go on with that. 
uh, I think that's a, another way to do it is just you, you well, don't have to be the one creating all the content. You use what you, you guys do. Well, that, that's, that's a great point. And thank you for bringing that up, David. And, and really, uh, we try to make it easy. We've actually developed a pretty cool tool within MBS Highway where we turn your computer into a scrolling teleprompter and we capture your webcam and we give you these great scripts. And we do a good job, I think, of taking some of this complicated stuff and making it easy to understand and to digest. Mm -hmm. But then we position you as the educator. And listen, once you, especially if you're educating during these times, I think that's going to transcend to, you know, well beyond this. You know, I think it's important to be educating people and you'll get a lot of engagement and hits. And I'm sure you'll do a lot more business if you're doing this, but it'll transcend after this. And I think you'll build a lot of goodwill, too. People can go find out all the resources that you have there by getting on the phone with you, Dan, or any of your salespeople going to mbshighway.com and checking it out. It's what I'd recommend. Some great resources there. Any parting comments as far as the interest rates? Uh, you guys are great at forecasting it. Your dad's renowned at it. And so are you guys anticipating interest rates staying the same, dropping back slightly, going higher? What's your, what you guys uh, think? We, we think interest rates are going to remain pretty stable. I think they're going to remain attractive. You know, one thing to, to look for is what the Fed's doing. And, uh, and one of your speakers earlier had touched on this a little bit where, you know, the Fed has been buying, a lot, still buying a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this week, they're, they're going to average about between seven and eight billion dollars a day in mortgage-backed securities. So they're absorbing a lot of the supply out there in the mortgage bond market. That's going to you know, help to keep rates and, and mortgage-backed security prices stable. Now, one thing you have to watch is that they're, they're already starting to take the training wheels off per se, right? So they were yeah. buying... You know, last month, at one point, they were buying $30 billion a day to stabilize the market, right? And then last week, they cut it down to, you know, a little bit over like $10 billion a day. The week before that, it was like $15 billion a day. So as they continue to, you know, take the training wheels off more and buy less and less and less, because they're going to eventually, you know, roll this out uh, where, where they stop, I think that you'll see, you know, it's something you have to just watch closely, because you could see a little bit of turbulence, because you're not going to have the support of the Fed in there anymore. But I just think overall, because of all the debt, um, that we're seeing out there, which has a negative, a downward pressure on rates. I think rates are just going to remain very attractive. Now, listen, customers also have to know that, you know, sometimes, and, and, and mortgage professionals have to know that, hey, listen, sometimes you're not going to see that exact correlation that you, you know, are used to seeing with mortgage-backed security pricing and the actual rates you can offer, right? Because, you know, certain companies are, are dealing with certain things, you know, compression, they're, they're uh, maybe having capacity issues, right? So, you know, sometimes you see mortgage-backed security prices improve and, and you're maybe not getting that benefit that you would see from your company. So there is some stuff like that going on a little bit. But I think that as we kind of get through this time and, and as capacity gets a little bit better, I think that you're going to start to see the correlation back a little bit. And I do think that rates just overall are going to remain very, very low for a long period of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in that camp. And I think with millennials uh, and Gen Zers get back in the market, we're going to see a raging housing market. I'm very, very bullish long-term on housing. I think it may take a little while. We may have a little dip, but I'm not much in the dip camp. I'm more of a, this is going to stay steady and explode to the upside, I think, and, uh, as soon as we get the other side of it is what I'm thinking. So, But you guys are doing a much better job forecasting than I am. We just talk about it. Alice or uh, Joe, any last-minute questions you have for um, for Dan, Alice? I uh, actually you just touched on it at the end there when you were uh, walking through the, the housing discussion. Uh, you know, I, I, it, that's what with Wells Fargo pulling out of cash out refis, that seemed to be a sign. I mean, there could be many reasons, right? But one of the layers may be that they had concerned about pressure on housing values 
and that customers may not, you know, have the equity that they think they have down the road because cash out refis were such a problem in the last meltdown. Yeah, the only thing with that is, is I think there's a lot of cushion there, though. One of the staffs that I've thrown out before was that the average you know, homeowner with a mortgage has $177,000 in equity. So they do have a lot of cushion there in case uh, they do lose a little bit of home value. So I, I think that will work in their favor. Good question, Alice, or good commentary, question, follow-on question. I, I really think we're going to see property values stabilize. I mean, I'm not getting what they're doing. There are a lot of smart people at Wells Fargo, and, and even you guys do very smart on how I'm projecting, but I just don't I don't see much of a drop. I think there's just too much demand. Supply and demand is going to keep this thing going strong is my two cents on it. Uh, Joe, you want any parting questions as we get ready to exit out of this today? Okay. Uh it seems as though there is, as you mentioned, Dan, that there is a disconnect somewhat between MBS prices and mortgage rates, and, and therefore there is a built-in sort of premium in the rate that the borrower is paying right now. That serves as a bit of a cushion in and of itself, right, in that uh, MBS prices could move lower, meaning yield rise, somewhat without the borrower having to see much of that if the markets begin to operate uh, as they should. Yeah, it it depends. I think it's it's very kind of you know lender specific to be honest. Because you know as we're monitoring this stuff, uh, I, I hear from our customers from from different companies that start saying you know mortgage backed security prices haven't moved, and I just got worse rates. You know what's going on? Why why is this happening to me? So mm-hmm. there's some definitely uh, some unique things going on from from lender to lender. But I think you're right, and and you know I do think that there was a little cushion built in there because. Listen, there's a little bit more risk right now. Uh, they have to they have to kind of factor that in there. But overall, I think that we'll see rates remain very attractive. That is good for us, good for the listeners, and good to the years of anyone mortgage involved in the mortgage industry at any point in time. Thank you, Dan, so much for being here. Again, for the resources that you have available, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or anyone in your staff to learn more about all that you have available? Thank you for that. Um, just mbshighway.com is our site, but if you want to contact with me, if you have any questions that we didn't have time to go over, or you, you wanted to go a little deeper, my email is dan at mbshighway.com. And I do want to do something special. You know, if you're listening to this call, uh, if you call us, if you email me, again, it's dan at mbshighway.com, and you're interested in finding out more or joining us with MBS Highway, you are going to get this kind of information every day. You'll get Barry and myself doing a video every morning, really breaking it down. But if you mention uh, Lickin podcast here that we're on today, there is going to be a special discount for you that's going to be quite significant. Oh, fantastic. We didn't even talk about that. I do appreciate that very much. also want to give a plug for uh, Barry's book, Money in the Streets. It's a pre-order. You can get a pre-order copy of uh, Barry's book. I encourage you to go. You can learn more and get it at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. Good. Can't wait to get that one and get caught up on it. Dan, thanks so much for being here with us. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, be sure to greet uh, Barry and the whole family and all that you do there. So grateful for all the work that you're doing. Appreciate you guys. Folks, we've had as our guest Dan Habib, Senior Vice President, Co-Founder of MBS Highway. And uh, be sure to check out the special that he's offering us. Mention our name, Lick It on Lending Podcast, and you'll get a discount on at least a trial basis to get going. So appreciate you being here with us, Dan. Next week, we've got Dale Vermillion coming back on the program. We've had Dale guests. It's been way too long. I wanted to get Dale on because he's taught over 450 lenders and over 1 million loan officers. Uh, so anyway, it is uh, he has a systematic way of a value-based approach to sales. 
customer service and management. He delivers results and has built lasting customer loyalty. So we're going to have Dale on talking about this. We used Dale at our last mortgage company that I owned. And I tell you, I can speak firsthand to the experience and the results that we got. It was outstanding. So bringing Dale Vermillion on next week. Don't want to miss that podcast. Tell others about it. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Finastra, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, Indicom, Incelerate, Ainsworth Advisors, AI Assist, Celebrity Home Loans, Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, Modex, Velma, VendorServe, Vidyard, Special thank you to Alice, Andy, Allen, and Joe for them being here and making this podcast possible each and every week. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.